So, what would life be in another planet? The current hype right now is the colonization of Mars. And a nearby galaxy about five, almost five light years away, Alpha Centauri system. Well, people are wondering why would anybody want to leave planet Earth when it's already comfortable here? But some people, but for you to understand these things, I guess lies in psychology. How many people have you met have had good jobs, great jobs actually, a great life, it's stable, but see, sometimes human nature doesn't want stable, and this is what causes civil wars actually between two kinds of humans the reactionaries and the progressives. Reactionaries are conservatives, they don't like change, they like stability, they like security. You know, these people tend to lean more towards dictatorships because they want a structured environment. And a dictatorship offers that. A democracy or a liberal society, on the other hand, offers change, offers vibrance. It's lively. You know that saying, I never really lived the life? Well, there's, there will be two reactions to these, uh, to this idea. The reactionaries would react violently towards it because that is change. You know, some people takes change positively you know sometimes I, I, I get I get lost in these thoughts you know trying to understand human psychology but you see humans doesn't have a single psychology like I would probably post on social media and most of them are mainstream and they would find it annoying for you to suggest change it's not exciting to them that's anarchy to them for example there there have been a lot of scientific discoveries that would change the perspective of humans towards the supreme being it didn't change much that there is a supreme being it just changed the way we look at that supreme being the most common is the Christian God like in the United States I you would see some debates violent debates actually regarding fundamentalist Christianity a lot of Americans would still believe in God 
in Jesus Christ. It's not, not that Jesus Christ didn't exist. He did. There are historical evidences that Jesus Christ existed. existed. But, you see, it's the way you look at Jesus Christ that would have changed if you read a lot of scientific discoveries, a lot of scientific journals. You know, according to science, there should be a supreme being, at least a supreme energy. Like, everything is energy. Like, the question is, do we have a soul? The science says that we do. It's just not the kind of soul that we were brought up to think it is. It's actually energy. After reading so much of these scientific journals, I started reading again books about near-death experiences. I don't know if many of you have noticed in these readings that the wormhole, the black hole, and some scientific theories about relativity and space-time seems to be similar to how near-death experience describes it. Like for science, they are investigating the existence of wormholes. And if you read near-death experience, books on near-death experience, or near-death experience, they will first travel, float, away from their bodies, away from planet Earth. Near-death experience described traveling through outer space. They mentioned that they were traveling through a tunnel and doesn't that remind you of a wormhole and they did describe that together with other souls traveling through that wormhole or the tunnel they saw stars planets galaxies so they were probably traveling at the speed of light which no human body can survive but as energy or soul you can probably survive speed of light so these guys these souls the departed must have been traveling at the speed of light and then they eventually end up according to their description seems like a new planet like in this book embraced by the light she mentioned that she ended up in a place where the walls are some kind of translucent but they are walls you know it, i would love to read that book again and see how related it is to scientific discoveries <clears throat> It, uh, she describes the walls in that place like it's another planet with an advanced technology 
these walls kind of reminds you of the kind of AI or computer technology or information technology that we will have in the future where you don't need dedicated LCDs or screens your walls will serve as LCD I don't know how they'll do it right now it could be a projector but one of these days even if you watch science science fiction they are suggesting that the walls are made of glass even the iPads are made of glass and they are producing visuals images information everything will be a computer your walls your table even your skin and that seems to be how near-death experience described quote-unquote heaven and they described God as they couldn't even describe it as a big ball of energy it had no face they couldn't describe it physically they just knew it was there and doesn't that remind you of energy they just said it's love and love is energy hate is energy love is energy positive and negative respectively So what I'm saying is, all throughout these centuries, you know, there was the Crusades and the Jihad, meaning people who believed, both sides believed in a God, but had different ideas of what or who God is. And then there is no current war yet, but a lot of people, a lot of musicians, mostly musicians and artists, question the existence of that kind of God. They question religion. They don't necessarily not believe in a God, but they believe in love. They believe in positive energy, which is not only similar, but identical to the Christian God, or to the Islamic God, or Muslim God, or the Buddhist God, or whatever. A lot of people brand them as atheists, but they still believe in a God, not just the traditional conventional idea of a God. Let's go back through a couple of centuries before the birth of Christianity. Humans already believed in gods or higher beings. And mind you, before the birth of Christianity, the concept of compassionate God didn't exist. 
exist. According to quote-unquote paganism, paganism is a general term for non-Christian ideas. This is These are the Roman religion, the Egyptian religion, and the Greek religion of deities and gods. It believed, they believed, the Romans, the Greeks, the Egyptians, that there is life after death. And then they had the doctrine of what your purpose on earth was. And that was to please the gods. All of you humans have that duty to please the gods. And one of them was the emperor. Or the Pharaoh. So that's how people were programmed. Their life is dedicated to pleasing the gods. When they eat, you know, when they satisfy Maslow's hierarchy of needs, they're just sustenance. You know, the humans, humanity did not matter. Humans were simply tools, equipment, resources dedicated to the gods. So when Christianity, the concept of Christianity was born, people had been had been programmed to believe that their lives were dedicated to that structure and all of a sudden Jesus Christ preaches compassion forgiveness of sin so you couldn't imagine but I could and most historians could I call it psychoanalysis of history they violently reacted to why are you teaching compassion and and the people who reacted violently, the most violently against this new doctrine, this revolutionary doctrine, you know, was the father, was the, was the origin of Christianity, which is Judaism, or Judaism. So the Pharisees reacted violently towards this new doctrine. Because you see, the Romans did not... Jesus Christ did not really bother the Romans. You know, if, if you read the Bible, you know, the, the events that led to the execution of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ did not really piss off the Romans or the Roman governor or even the emperor himself. He did not even piss off the common soldiers. In fact, he, he, he did a miracle for a Roman soldier, a Roman officer, a centurion, I believe. The, the, the persons he actually pissed off, you know, were not political leaders. He pissed off religious, religious leaders. 
And it's hard to imagine that you could actually be sentenced to a horrible death, a horrible execution, to be impaled on the cross for such an idea. And I say it's hard to imagine because we all think for thousands of years, uh, I guess 2,000, is that 2,000 years? Into Christianity? You know, we are now programmed into Christian doctrines of compassion. So we don't understand how death on the cross could be horrible because we have been programmed that that's actually a glorious death. You know, we were programmed and taught in school. You know, if you studied in a Christian school or a Catholic school, that the death of Jesus Christ on the cross is actually glorious. Saint Peter had a glorious death according to our Christian education, being crucified upside down. But, you know, we can't imagine how horrible that is because before St. Peter or, or Jesus Christ was executed. And I'm using the word executed because that was a punishment. And that was not just like, you know, today's compassionate punishment of lethal injection, you know, or being hanged, but not in public. It's a quick death because we already have been indoctrinated that punishment should be humane. But that didn't exist before Jesus Christ. Punishments were not meant to be humane. Punishments were meant to be um, how do you say this? Humiliating. So even if you can't imagine it, try to imagine. Try to imagine a world where Jesus Christ did not exist yet. And the Old Testament that we know is how humans were programmed to believe. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Beware the wrath of God. Now somebody is preaching compassion and it was so threatening and infuriating that he was sentenced to a horrible death. So imagine that you haven't been taught about the glory of dying on the cross, being crucified. You were programmed that, oh my God, I don't want to die there. It's not just the pain, it's the humiliation. They're not going to bring down your body from the cross. They're going to let you rot in there. They're going to let vultures eat you. You're going to be a living symbol of humiliation. That's why they do it in public. That's why Jesus Christ was crucified in an elevated place in Mount Calvary. Is it Mount Calvary? Yeah, I believe so. Mount Calvary. Because people need to see, oh, look at that. You want to be like him? So behave. 
right? So, we're going back to, you know, the idea of wormhole. Love. Love is actually the new concept of a god. We exist on planet Earth because of love. We exist on planet Earth to give kindness to everyone around us. To live amongst humans. And you wouldn't be surprised that if this new religion of love is finally empowered and given the political powers of the Roman Catholic Church or the American Protestant denominations could there be a chance that this new religion of love could be abusive if you don't love if you don't provide kindness you will be executed and you will be humiliated And someday you'll have an you'll have different ideas of what love is, and people will group together according to those ideas and cause a civil war. Now, wouldn't that be an interesting, quote unquote, interesting prediction? that you know we hope will not happen so another um, another concept or another perspective in the colonization of Mars and nearby Alpha Centauri is the concept of history repeats itself. There are some scientists who refer to past human experiences, past civilization experience, past experience, past experiences of civilization to predict what will happen when humans finally colonize Mars or nearby Alpha Centauri. Well, one concept that I could see that may repeat itself is, of course, the Americas. You know, the best, probably the most exciting story of exploration is the Americas. Depending on your point of view, of course, a lot of people find it not so exciting because it resulted to genocide displacing you know a group of people we can dwell in that topic just a little bit but maybe in another episode about the colonization of the Americas but for now Let's focus on 
comparing the human experience in the Americas and human experience in Mars in nearby Alpha Centauri. So let's go back again to that year 1400s, the year that Christopher Columbus discovered, quote-unquote, discovered the Americas. So we will be using the right terms for us to understand. Because back in the 1400s, the Europeans were the only humans on Earth. Well, at least that's what they think. They probably had a little bit of respect to Genghis Khan, you know, the Asians. I don't know if they had that much respect because silk came from Asia. And the reason why they accidentally discovered the Americas was they were trying to make it to Asia by West. Because the fall of because of the fall of Constantinople. You know, that was the gateway to the riches of Asia. That was the gateway to the Silk Road. Now, anyways, that is how for, for uh, to, to you know to, to guide us how how humans you know the human experience and co- the colonization of the Americas. That is how Europeans thought. And I'm sure both Europeans and, you know, uh, people crying over colonialism will both agree that there was racism involved. Today we call it racism. But back in the 1400s, you know, there is no such thing. What's that? There is no such thing because that was the truth then. It was fact. We're Europeans, we're humans. Oh, there's intelligent, quote-unquote, intelligent life form in the Americas. <clears throat> Excuse me. And they did kind of saw it as intelligent, intelligent life form. But hostile intelligent life form. Because if you read the experience of uh, John Smith or the first English colonists, they kind of were a bit threatened by the existence of intelligent life form in the Americas. You know, these beings had the technology to kill you. They bore weapons. And the weapons they had were totally different from what the Europeans had. Well, they were, the Europeans were using these kinds of weapons thousands of years before them. You know, we have to accept the fact that, you know, it was, there was already civilizations, civilization in the Americas, but it, but you know, they were, they bore weapons made from stone, uh, from fish bones. That's technology. It's just that the Europeans have stopped using stones and fish bones thousands of years before that they were already using steel so anyways comparing it to the colonization of Mars and nearby Alpha Centauri moving forward 
uh, hundreds, maybe about 200, 300 years later, there was the United States of America, 13 colonies, and the American Revolution. So eventually, Europeans, or quote-unquote humans, successfully terraformed and colonized the Americas. Meaning, they made the Americas, they turned it into a second Europe. Pretty much how humans will turn Mars and Alpha Centauri into a second planet Earth. Mars will look like planet Earth. Alpha Centauri will look like planet Earth, but a bit different. Because you see, the current United States of America may look European, may look English, but it still was different from England. You know, the farms of the United States turned out looking different from the farms of England. You know, because farming technology developed separately in the United States. There was more land. So, there was more... uh, There were more more opportunities to develop farming technology in the United States. And the same thing when humans colonized Mars and Alpha Centauri. Different technology, space technology will develop in Mars and Alpha Centauri, especially Alpha Centauri. It's going to be five light years away. You know, Alpha Centauri is when you migrate there, you're not coming back. It's just next to impossible. I guess you can, you know, spend five years traveling to Alpha Centauri. You, you develop a life there. And then eventually you retire back to planet Earth, bring with you some wealth that you created in Alpha Centauri, retire here. Pretty much how the first Europeans did. You know, the first English settlers would travel to to what is now the United States, create some wealth, and retire back in England. But let's look into farther colonies like Asia. Let's say Philippines. In a way, a little bit of Hong Kong or Singapore, but you know, Philippines is the best um, colony to look at it. You know, because Philippines was an extension of Mexico or New Spain, meaning the Spanish explorers who made it to the Philippines actually lived in the Philippines, settled in the Philippines. They made it their new home. They terraformed it. That's why the Philippines right now, well, at least the older parts, looked like Mexico or looked like Spain. You know? Because when they came here, their idea was to stay here, to live here. You know? Unlike in Indonesia or Hong Kong or Singapore or even Malaysia, or let's say Indonesia is the perfect um, example. When the Dutch went to Indonesia, they never had any plans to stay there. <laughs> you know, that's why 
the Indonesian population was just separate. You know, uh, you keep a religion, we're not going to change you. Uh, we're just here to establish a trade, a trade post. But you're going to be under us just to make sure that you're not going <laughs> to fuck up our trading po trade post, right? But in the Philippines, it was different. You know, if Indonesia was, were, was mostly populated by Dutch officials, Dutch government officials, and they were just there to protect the trading post, the trade outpost. In the Philippines, the Spanish settlers arrived there to establish a new life. Yeah, for the first few hundred years, uh, the first Spanish settlers concentrated more within the walled city of Manila, Intramuros, actually. And their idea was to create wealth from the Manila-Acapulco galleon trade. Yeah, so they were making money from being a trade outpost. They would buy silver from Mexico and sell it to China for silk and then bring the silk back to Mexico. And the Philippines was a trade outpost. You know, they were just buying and selling. They, the, uh, the Spanish settlers never bothered to abuse or harness or whatever you call it. Um, there's a better term for it, you know. You know, take advantage of the natural resources that the Philippines have. I'm not even sure if you have, if you really have any natural resources. A lot of people are saying it's rich in natural resources, but nobody seems interested. The Spanish never bothered to mine those natural resources. They never bothered to mine gold in the Philippines. They were just interested in the Asia-Pacific trade, the silk and silver trade. Besides the settlers, so aboard the ships, aboard the ships of Magellan, and later on the later conquistadors, aboard the ships were missionaries, Christian missionaries, Catholic missionaries. So they converted the population to the new Catholic faith. I was reading this uh, book of uh, Antonio Pigafetta. Well, this was based on the book of Antonio Pigafetta, A Singular Captain by John Regan. Uh, he described Magellan as a religious fanatic. You know, he wasn't practical, which was very common to Europeans of the 1400s, you know. They were very fanatic. For them, uh, Magellan thought that he was ordained by God to save humans in the Philippines or intelligent life forms in the Philippines into the Christian faith, save their souls from being heathens. You know, uh, his, some of his soldiers and officers were contesting his idea because for them, they joined this journey 
this voyage, this dangerous, perilous voyage across the Pacific, you know, to make money, to find spices. They were not there to change the lifestyle of the inhabitants. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> so, you know, going back to human colonization of Mars and Elvis and Turi. So, these, <clears throat> these early Spanish settlers actually lived in the Philippines and they stayed here. That's why, in fact, much of Filipinos are descended from these early Spanish settlers. That's why you see a lot of Filipinos who look very European, but they're not European, they're Filipinos. And that's why a lot of them were rich, because when they arrived here, they built these trading empires and never bothered to go back to Spain. They stayed in the Philippines. In fact, these Spanish settlers or Creoles were the ones who re revolted, who began the Philippine Revolution. You know, that's why the Philippines is an independent country. Because these Spanish settlers, instead of, you know, making sure that the Philippines remained Spanish, were the very people who began the concept of, hey, why don't we just start our own country? You know? <laughs> why don't we create our own Spain here in Asia? And that was the concept of Philippine independence. To create their own Spain. They didn't really want to free, quote-unquote, free the native inhabitants or the intelligent life forms here from slavery. They wanted to create their own Spain. And their population was quite large enough. They weren't as large as Mexico or the Americas, but it was large enough to start a revolution. And that is how humans will probably migrate to Alpha Centauri, much like the Spanish settlers who settled the Philippines. They will go there and probably never return. They'll make it their own home. And it's actually a nice book that I would like to write about. It's, it's either going to be science fiction or what if. It's most probably science fiction. What will happen to Mars and what will happen to Alpha Centauri? Because, you know, what I think is Mars is going to be like the Americas. It's nearby. You know, humans will be traveling to Mars back and forth. And Alpha Centauri is going to be like Philippines or Asia Pacific or the, the Asian colonies. You go there, you don't come back. You stay there. And because it's so far and there is... We don't know much about Alpha Centauri. There is a chance that there's intelligent life form in Alpha Centauri, but not as advanced as we are. And since we are the more advanced beings, and not all humans believe in the religion of love and equality, chances are, you know, some 
humans would have the concept of enslaving these intelligent life forms. And they're just some, but they're going to be the dominant. And it will spark the imagination of investors and businessmen from planet Earth. And, ooh, that looks interesting. Cheap labor. Or maybe even free labor. Reminds you of um, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory where the Oompa Loompas were paid by just giving them chocolate. You know? Another interesting concept if you relate if you correlate or relate if you correlate history and civilization is to space travel to colonization of other planets is let's look into what happened to the United States and the British Empire eventually Europe which is now planet Earth Europe fell into a series of wars, destructive wars. They never stopped fighting. It slowly depleted their economies. A lot of Europeans began fleeing to the United States or to the Americas, escaping poverty in Europe, chaos in Europe. And eventually the United and eventually there was World War II. That was the final blow. And the British Empire and all the European empires were on their knees. They were no longer empires. And the United States, together with Russia, the East, I wouldn't say emerged, were the only ones, were the only countries left powerful enough to be considered superpowers. So imagine from a barren land in the 1400s it became the superpower that it is now you go to the United States it's more advanced in Europe than London where they originated from from England in fact a lot of English people like Emily Blunt you know a lot of them are actually migrating to the United States and wouldn't you think that that would happen as well when humans begin to colonize Mars and Alpha Centauri? Right now, the world is in chaos. They couldn't stop people from killing each other, fighting with each other. Sooner or later, there's going to be a third world war. You know, why can't China and the United States just be friends? You know, personally, personally, in my personal opinion, I don't think the United States is being an asshole. And I don't think China is being the same asshole. You know, if, if you look at it, you know, on a more fair perspective, China isn't that much of a troublemaker. You know, <laughs> it's just, looking for a breathing space they're just looking for more markets for their you know factory goods they're just looking for markets to to sell in the United States they're it's not they're not really troublemakers they're just protecting a global system that you know a global system that 
made it possible to have these high standards of living that we live right now. Because this, you know, the new global order is not just limited to the United States. The new global order created a wealthier and more peaceful Europe. You know, it created the NICs of Asia. It resuscitated Japan from, from the World War. And recently, it was the same global order that the United States is protecting that created the China that it is today. China wouldn't recover from communism if the United States kept on isolating China from the global order. China wouldn't develop the factories if globalization wasn't implemented in China. China wouldn't accumulate these riches if globalization was not implemented in China. And the United States did not fall down when they lost the factories. In fact, they're richer. Yes, the Chinese factories are rich, but Bill Gates is richer. Steve Jobs, well, the late Steve Jobs was richer. They never built their computers in the United States. Well, they're actually richer without factories. And it's also another discussion in length. How is this so? You know, a lot of Americans are complaining, not just Americans, our people around the world are complaining that they lost their factories, we need a manufacturing base, everything's manufactured in China. What if there was a war in China? Oh no, how are, how are we gonna manufacture our weapons? They're all made in China. <laughs> you know, that's another discussion in length, how, how the next, you know, how the next global order is going to work if there was, you know, a world war. because everything is made in China. So going back, <clears throat> a lot of people think that both the United States and China are troublemakers, but I think both China and the United States should just get along. I don't know why they couldn't get along. And you talk to a lot of Europeans as well, they, they're, not that, they're not that keen on accepting China as one of them. Could it be that if you go back to history, we're discussing how history repeats itself. That was exactly what happened to Japan before World War II, during the Meiji period. Japan was rising and becoming as rich as the European powers. They were becoming powerful like the Europeans, but they just couldn't accept Japan as one of them. And you know why? No, it's not racism. It's their culture. The Japanese had a culture of dictatorship. A dictatorship. They did not have respect for human life. They were not a democracy. They were just different, you know? They, they had no respect for human life. 
you know, of course, Germany, we know that Nazi Germany was like that as well, but, but you know, but, but at least, you know, the Europeans believed that they had a history of not respecting human life and they got over it, you know, because we all know that the Roman Catholic Church was probably one of the worst human rights violators of his, in history, but that doesn't mean the Roman Catholic Church needs to pay for those crimes because that was done thousands of years ago and Europeans have already learned from that mistake. And that is why, you know, the West is considered the most advanced civilization. Well, at least they believe that they are the most advanced civilization because... You know, because they've already gotten over that third world thinking that humans, human life should not be respected. In fact, it's in the West where they're developing animal rights. You wouldn't expect that in China. You wouldn't expect that in Japan or in Asia. And you will never expect that in the Middle East. You will never expect that in the Philippines. And people, you know, because people in Asia think that being a wealthy nation is having money, not developing yourselves as humans, not developing humanity. Japan is beginning to knock into that modernity. They're becoming more human, you know, they're becoming more compassionate, you know, because they had a head start. Unlike most Asian countries, they were already becoming powerful during the Meiji period. You know, it's been decades. They've gone through World War One, World War Two. They've gone through the massacres of, you know, of China and Philippines. You know, they're over it. And a lot of, you know, you would see it in Korra, a lot of people are saying the Japanese should apologize for these atrocities. And they... And I believe they already did. These Asian countries just kept on saying, apologize. Because, you know, back in the 80s, Emperor Hirohito already uh, released an official message in the Philippines when he visited here that he apologizes, that Japan apologizes for the atrocities made by his soldiers. And yes, he was the emperor who ruled Japan during World War II. And he, he gave that apology when he visited the Philippines. But Filipinos don't know that. A lot of Asians don't know that. They still keep on repeating, you have to apologize for the atrocities. Japan already apologized for it. How many more times do you want them to apologize for it? The important thing is, Japan already learned from those atrocities. The Europeans already learned from those atrocities. They don't need to apologize. They're already living, practicing what they preach. They no longer torture people. You know? In fact, they're beginning to develop a set of basic rights for animals. You know, in the West, you just can't kill an animal. It has to be done humanely. That doesn't happen in Asia yet. There is no respect for animals in Asia yet. 
In fact, there is no respect for humans in Asia yet. Because humans in Asia still refer to the leaders. And the rest of the population are just equipment, resources, flora and fauna. And going back to the U.S. and China, that is how the West probably looks at China. You know, yeah, you're rich, you're powerful, your factories used to be producing some standard technology, but now, in fact, you're beginning to surpass American space technology. You know, Chinese products are no longer as bad as they were a few decades ago. They're becoming better, they're becoming like Japanese products. They're very interesting. And I've met a lot of Chinese people. They're actually beginning to westernize, meaning they're beginning to, you know, be conscious of their humanity. They're becoming more conscious of respect for humanity, other humans. It's actually just the Chinese government who, you know, who's creating trouble in the West Philippine Sea or South China Sea. But, you know, and that's, and I believe that's the reason why the West, including the United States, still couldn't accept the fact that China is already one of them. And sooner or later, there might be a final war. And the result of that war is much like how World War II made Japan it is today. China will not fall down in the next war they might lose they may lose but you know they will eventually rise back to what they are right now but in a more humane a more human having a more human society so going back to colonization of mars and alpha centauri planet earth if europe was in chaos for centuries, beginning with Napoleon up to World War II. Let's say planet Earth will be in chaos and it will fall down. And by the time the Third World War ends, a lot of humans would have escaped or ran away into Mars and Alpha Centauri. And it will be the other way around the galaxy power is not planet Earth. It's actually Alpha Centauri and Mars. Or maybe even Alpha Centauri because it's so far. The greedy leaders in planet Earth cannot touch Alpha Centauri. It takes five light years to travel there. Planet Earth would probably not pay attention to Alpha Centauri for a couple of years centuries they will have a chance to develop their own society there and by the time that happens it's so far it's much like how american society developed differently from england alpha centauri will be a progressive advanced human society but more advanced than planet earth and sooner or later you'd see planet earth you know sprawling with soldiers from Alpha Centauri 
maintaining peace, quote-unquote peace on planet Earth. And because, you know, these are still humans, and humans will always have greed, there's probably a chance that, you know, the, the next generation, the third generation of people, humans and Alpha Centauri would be greedy, and they would be powerful enough to station soldiers on planet Earth and maintain a galactic order that is only, you know, that is mostly, not only, that is mostly advantageous to Alpha Centauri. And Mars? Well, it's so close to planet Earth that uh, but it's still gonna take six months travel there. And planet Earth is probably so busy fighting with each other, killing, killing each other, that Mars would probably develop. You know, the first Martians would... You know, it's not gonna be easy terraforming Mars. The first humans in Mars will develop some kind of work ethic, like the first American settlers did. You know, they wouldn't care about planet Earth. You know, they, Mars is their new home. There's a reason why they, they ventured into Mars. They've had enough of planet Earth. I mean, why would you venture? Why, why do you think the American settlers ventured into the Americas and start from scratch? Who were these first American settlers? The Puritans. Were they? Puritans, yeah. Plymouth or Plymouth? Plymouth Colony. They were escaping religious persecution in England. They had no intentions of going back to Europe. And the colonists of Jamestown, well, it was a, I believe it was a paid voyage. So, and the problem of John Smith then was, uh, you know, these um, settlers didn't bother planting or creating farms. They didn't bother hunting food in the Americas. Their idea was they were going to be supplied, fed by England. They kept on waiting for ships, supply ships coming in, bringing food, European food. They never bothered to, to, you know, um, discover corn, potatoes, tomatoes, bisons. You know, they never bothered asking the Indians, "Hey, what do you guys eat?" Right? <laughs> they just had the idea. That, oh no, I can't eat anything in here. I'm gonna go hungry. England has to feed me with, uh, with bread with honey, with butter, with steak. You know, whatever I was eating in England, I have to eat it here. In the Americas, they never bothered to, you know, they never bothered to, they were already in the Americas, which is already full of food. They never bothered to ask the Indians, hey, what are you guys eating? Over here. But eventually they did teach the settlers how to plant corn, how to eat potato, how to hunt for bison for buffalo yeah and eventually that became the home of Americans and like I said it's another episode what happened to the settlers and the native